Hold on to your hats, the countdown to the biggest wellness event of the year is on. Join our side August 15 and 16 in Melbourne for not one, but two days of Powerhouse Wellness, featuring 11 of Australia's most inspiring, entertaining, educating, fermentating speakers. Damo, what is fermentating? MP, I'll tell you at the summit. Your favourite wellness couch speakers are joined by special guest Nat Kringudis on all things hormones and female health. Join the Up For A Chat girls, the wellness guys, the natural nutritionist Steph Lowe, Kale Brock, Quirky Cookings, Joe Witt, Marcus Pierce, and the rest of your favourite wellness couch podcasters. Regular and VIP tickets are still available, but hurry before this summit is sold out. For tickets, go to www.thewellnesssummit.com. The Wellness Summit is proudly brought to you by Well & You. Be someone that makes you happy. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to The Abnormal Psychologist, the show that shares everyday insights into getting the best out of your mind, body, and lifestyle. Now, please welcome your host, The Abnormal Psychologist herself, Carrie Thompson-Casey. Hello, and how are you going? Welcome to another episode of The Abnormal Psychologist with me, your host, Carrie Thompson-Casey the show where we are giving you the how-to to get the best out of you. And today, I'm really excited to share with you a really important topic to me, and that is looking at um, how we are affected by burnout, whether we're health professionals, psychologists, social workers, health coaches or trainers, or whether we're somebody in uh, a caring role. And um, I really do see this as really relevant for anyone in a caring role. So whether you're a parent or a partner, um, whether you're caring for children or older relatives or whoever you may be caring for, that sometimes um, it gets quite hard to be in that caring role. And what I'm talking about specifically is burnout, but not kind of, oh yeah, okay, I'm feeling a bit burned out. But what is it that predisposes us to burnout? Or what are those underlying personality variables that mean that two people in the same workplace may experience bur- may not experience burnout? One may and one may not. And I'm so interested in this particular area. This is actually... Um, the, one of the research papers that I wrote and presented at a conference um, last year. So I wanted to share with you some of that research, even though the bulk of that does look at health professionals. What I've learned over time is that the research lends itself, as I said, to anybody in a caring role. And you may have come across a large amount of literature um, or conversations about work in the human services where they talk about that the risk of professional distress or burnout is quite high. So what is burnout? Well, burnout has been defined um, by many people. I think Frudenberger um, was one of the first to talk about it in the 1970s, um, but it's certainly been discussed you know, well on since then and, and in current literature as well. But burnout is basically a psychological syndrome involving chronic emotional and interpersonal stresses that individuals experience in the course of their work and their subsequent response to their work tasks or organizational environment, clients and themselves. So basically it's that breakdown in capacity to respond healthily or adaptively to stresses in the workplace and then that affects how they do their work or it might affect how someone relates to their clients and the people they care about or themselves. So 
The human service profession is, yes, quite exposed to that front line where there's quite emotional work or work that's quite intense because we're working with people and often people in a, a state of distress. Um, so but there's also external factors that can um, bring about burnout as well. So, for example, you know, that might be work hours, um, it might be the client group, it might be the type of leadership someone that works under, it might be the type of team they work in or a lack of team. And in fact, in the thesis that I wrote, I actually hypothesized or predicted that rural psychologists would be at greater risk of burnout than their more urban professionals. But we'll come back to that a bit later in terms of what I found out in my research. But what the research does say is that certainly not everyone experiencing the same work conditions does develop burnout, suggesting very strongly that it's individual factors that also contribute to burnout. So it would be really important to have some self-knowledge, have some understanding about what vulnerabilities there might be that put you or someone you know or someone in your professional world at risk. And and that means then that they can get um, great supervision or care or support to allow that burnout not to progress into something um, much more difficult to get out of. So there's probably lots to cover. So let's have a bit of a closer look at burnout. Um, So a lot of the research does tend to lend itself to GPs, nurses, psychologists, social workers, um, anybody in that frontline caring role. Um, And it often uh, looks at the somatic complaints so physical sensations as well as behavioral and psychological complaints basically a feeling of exhaustion and fatigue Um, so uh, another well-known researcher is Maslach and they focused on defining and measuring burnout and they certainly looked at it as a psychological syndrome that involves a prolonged response to chronic interpersonal stresses on the job but um, as I mentioned before there's often that emotional and mental exhaustion and a decreased sense of satisfaction with work or with caring roles or tasks involved in the average day so it's kind of you know a state of physical emotional and mental exhaustion that comes from long-term involvement in situations that are emotionally demanding. And, and there may be an imbalance between those demands that are made on the individual and, of course, the resources they have available to them to manage those demands. So, I mean, that's obviously what we talk about a lot in terms of work-life balance. Um, but the domains that can someone can experience burnout can be personal within themselves and their personal world their work role, so work with peers and the nature of their work perhaps administratively, but also client-related factors. And that's something that we might get a bit of time to talk about today around compassion fatigue. But personal burnout refers to the symptoms that someone might experience regardless of what they do for a living. So it, it, it's what's experienced by you as a person, um, whereas work-related is kind of the distress associated with work roles or work tasks Um, and as I said that client burnout is much more related to um, the work directly with clients so what is interesting um, in terms of people in a caring role and again this can be from psychologists through to mothers um, partners in a caring role is this view that that 
we're, that we were all meant to be starting off at normal and that we're well adjusted and that you know we are doing what we're supposed to be doing you know that that but we we also know that there's no manual that comes with being a parent or with being a partner then sometimes it does feel like you're working it out as you go along and I think some people have this idea that just because they're a mother or just because they're a psychologist that um, they should know what they're doing and there's almost this false sense of security that they are supposed to know everything they need to to survive um, that particular caring role. Um, but often we lack insight into our own distress and we fail to take adequate care of ourselves, which really places us at great risks of being unable to carry out those caring roles that we have. Um, so we kind of have this blind spot to to our own needs because we're caring so much about the needs of others. Um, and I think that... Um, it's important to also know that people don't have in a caring role, people don't have that support system. They don't have an employee assistance program or, or a supervisor necessarily that says, hey, it looks like you're not coping very well with the kids or with the demands of the household. You know, we often have nobody to to pull us up on that, whereas, of course, in a work context, often there's um, peer supervision or mechanisms that pick up when an employee is not performing for whatever reason that might be. So I think um, people in a caring role are even at a greater risk because there's not that mechanism of checking. And often there's that stoicism about, you know, just sort of getting on with it and, and pushing forward despite feeling really unwell physically and psychologically and feeling completely burned out. Um, and and sometimes, as I said, you know, sometimes it's just that solitary nature um, in which we live and work that we don't get a lot of opportunity to to access support from people who really can be there with you for the long term. So, what I think might be helpful is to also have a bit of a, a chat about personality, and we've touched on this on some of the other topics we've talked about on the abnormal psychologist. Um, so. There's all different theories of personality um, and it sort of depends on who you talk to about what they feel strongly about in terms of their theory or model of personality. Um, but I often like to talk about um, the big five or the five-factor theory, um, which is sort of broad domains of personality traits that have been based on statistical analysis and that's drawn down into five major factors and a spectrum across those factors. So that might sound a bit complicated, but you might have um, neuroticism, for example. Um, and then there's a scale of how neurotic someone might be. Then there's extroversion. So someone who gets a lot of energy from being in groups um, along that spectrum, we would then have introversion on the other end of that. So someone who prefers to get energy from alone time. Conscientiousness is another one. Agreeableness and openness to experience. So the five-factor model kind of organizes individual differences in social and emotional life into those five domains of neuroticism, extroversion, conscientiousness, agreeableness, and openness to experiences. So if you Google Big Five um, or do some research, you will find um, lots of information on that. But um, McRae and Costa have written a lot of research on that um, and Goldberg You'll find plenty of things, um, particularly if you go into Google Scholar, if you really want to get into some um, more serious research. Um, so 
Yeah, so so there's lots of aspects of personality that might make someone much more vulnerable to burnout or another way of saying that is less resilient to demands as they come in. So um, because personality traits tend to be fairly stable over time, um, it's really relevant to have a look at what someone's potential vulnerability is um, so that we can make sure we put things in place to prevent their burnout. So lots of studies have been done similar to mine in terms of looking at um, personality um, and its relationship with burnout. And certainly it it makes sense that people that were higher on neuroticism um, tend to have more ineffective or maladaptive strategies. So hostility, passivity, self-blame um, and withdrawal, those kinds of things um, in terms of personality factors might lead someone to be closer to burnout than others. So what is it that helps us get this balance between having a vulnerable personality to burnout um, and having high demands at home or at work? So one of the things is coping. So coping is a thought or action that people engage in when they're under a distress and this may occur in a cycle of reappraisal of the presenting threat so a threat comes in we engage our coping skills and that might be that or the threat comes in again and we reassess and we redeploy our coping strategies so it's really important that we are able to make those cognitive and behavioral efforts to master or tolerate um, those conflicts placed upon us so there's generally two types of coping that you would see. One is more problem-focused coping, um, so feeling that something can be done to address the particular problem. And there's also emotion-focused coping, so feeling like um, you can emotionally manage or endure the emotional distress that's occurring. And so, of course, coping can be um, adaptive, which means healthy, I guess, is an easy way to explain that. So like seeking social support or doing some exercise or seeing um, a psychologist. But then, of course, there's those maladaptive coping strategies such as drug use, alcohol use, um, oversleeping, overeating or restrictive eating, different ways in which the person tries to achieve distance from the distressor. And so, of course, maladaptive coping strategies can be identified because they'll have a negative consequence on the overall health and well-being of that person. So that's kind of giving you um, a bit of a rundown of, of some of the factors that that bring about that perfect storm when burnout happens. So we're looking at dimensions of personality and dimensions in terms of coping skills so if we have someone who's more neurotic um, or less open um, them and and they're having used poorer coping strategies perhaps using alcohol to cool down in the evenings they're, they're we're starting to build a picture of why personality and coping skills can build a picture of whether someone's much more vulnerable um, to burnout so when um, I went through my research, I mentioned before um, that part of the focus of the study was, you know, the well-being of health professionals as they engage and go about their work on a daily basis. Um, and I think that probably what's 
important to note is that I really thought that psychologists in a rural setting would be far more disadvantaged in terms of their coping and resilience because they're so isolated and often they might be one particular practitioner on a team. So although they're on a child and adolescent mental health team, there might only be one of them and the nearest clinician might only be in contact with them through telepsych or, or a health um, version of Skype that happens within hospitals um, in various state health. And it might be very tricky for them to get um, actual contact and have peer supervision as regularly as their peers in more urban centres. And also, you know, there's lots of time on the road, um, getting to different service sites and settings. Anyway, in, so in the research, I propose that this might be something um, that would mean that, that a rural clinician would be much more um, disp- predisposed to get burnt out. But it was really interesting in the study because what I found was that it was being uh, professionally isolated was far more harmful. So even if someone was working in a large um, employer of health professionals, whether that's a hospital or a university or, or other health facility, that feeling isolated from their peers in that setting was actually far more harmful to the health professionals that I interviewed compared to rural clinicians. So that was really something interesting that um, has really stood out for me from that, that piece of research that I conducted um, in terms of revealing um, that, you know, when we don't play nice with each other um, in our particular professional group or social group, um, I think we underestimate how much harm we can do um, to one another um, by not not being nice. Um Yes. Anyway, so I thought that was very much worth measuring. So what we know, um, as I said, so we've got those domains of personality. So let's have a bit of a visit back to those. So someone who is um, higher in neuroticism, they would be more our worrying types, a bit more suggestible, a bit more vulnerable. Um, Where on the other end of the neuroticism, we might see someone who is calm, independent and quite hardy. In terms of extroversion on a personality domain, we might see someone um, on the negative end as being quite inhibited, um, passive or lethargic, whereas more positive on the end of that extroversion scale would be adventurous, active and energetic. Openness to experience, we might see on the negative end, unreflective, unimaginative or shallow, um, whereas on the positive end, more contemplative, creative, insight. Agreeableness on the other end, we'd have irritability, cruelty and deceit. Um, whereas positive aspects of agreeableness would be adaptability, warmth, generosity. And the last one, conscientiousness. So this domain we would be looking at negative aspects would be unpredictability, negligence and erratic, whereas the positive end of that would be dependability, persistence and responsibility. So to put that together, the aspects of personality that would be more likely to prevent burnout would be calm, independent, hardy, adventurous, active, energetic, contemplative, creative, insightful, adaptive, warmth, generous, dependable, persistent and responsible. So they're the types of aspects um, of personality that you might want to start to manifest um, in terms of being protective uh, for burnout. So some of the studies also found that um, that the nature of 
of what's coming in doesn't necessarily predict the severity of the burnout. And and this is how, you know, we're so different in how we perceive our world. You know, you, you might go to an event with 10 friends and between the 10 of you, you know, there's a, a scale of how people felt about what, what you experienced, you know, from absolutely fabulous through to, yeah, no, I don't know if I'll ever do that again. So perception's quite big in how we see um, dilemmas as they they come to us. So in my research, I looked at around 240 health professionals um, in Australia. They had to be residents of Australia. So I was quite pleased actually with the number of people who participated. Um, And I sent out and we had a good cross section and representation across all states and territories, um, married and unmarried um, and various spectrum in between. Um, Some had dependents, some didn't, and some had a variety of numbers of dependents. Um, But the, yeah, so it was quite a a lot. But what was interesting um, was that I did have about 20% of participants being greater than 100 kilometres away from a a larger city. And so that's where I was able to get some data from the rural petition uh, clinicians and health professionals. Um, And also there was a variety um, of people represented in terms of um, their, their work and academic status. So there was all sorts of people who participated and the majority of people were working 11 to 30 hour client contact hours a week. So that's not work hours, that's client contact hours a week. Um, and so I measured them across different states of burnout, personal burnout, work-related burnout and client-related burnout. Um, I also uh, looked at measures of personality and I also looked at their coping styles using um, a instrument called the Brief Cope, um, which looks at scales of, of coping. Um, and yeah, it was really interesting to to look at all the individual scores. But of course, as part of a, a thesis or a research paper, you need to do various analyses on that. So I did lots of fancy analysis on um, some of those different data that came in. I won't go into all of that now, um, but certainly comparing scores of personality and coping and burnout experiences of all those different people. And so Basically, um, one of the biggest things that I found um, in terms of it was, as I said, that the geographical isolation was, you know, quite significant in terms of uh, people's experience of personal burnout, work burnout and client burnout, but mostly work and personal burnout. Um, Certainly job satisfaction, people who are dissatisfied with their job, you know, that really makes sense. Um, those people experience burnout across personal work and client related um, feeling that their work hours were too much um, correlated with work burnout and personal burnout. Um, But also, um, you know, it it did show that people with maladaptive coping were obviously far more vulnerable. Um, But again, peer support was also something that was quite significant. So that lack of peer support, um, again, had quite significant results across all personal work and client-related burnout. Um, So I did some mediation analysis and a few other bits and pieces. And Basically, the bottom line is that health professionals and people in caring roles do experience high levels of burnout. Um, and I think that, you know, it, it's 
it's hard to know what's going to be the answer for the Australian population. But I think um, as a clinical psychologist working in practice, what I really would like to see is people just taking better care of themselves. And I certainly know um, that, you know, that's something that I need to work on for myself as well, that that burnout um, is, is always there on the periphery if that work-life balance isn't isn't sorted out. Um, so certainly um, when, uh, you know, we compare health professionals to other, you know, health professionals not in such an intensely emotional role like dentists, um, that obviously health professionals um, who have an emotional investment are more likely to experience burnout. Um, but certainly in terms of personality, um, those that were higher on those positive extroversion end, like lots of energy and outwardly focused, um, they were also conscientious, so task orientated and dependable, um, or more agreeable, more generous and tolerant, they were um, they were more likely to cope better. Um, so... What was um, quite good is that I found also that Australian health professionals weren't necessarily high on neuroticism, which is good to know. Um, but yeah, so I, I'm I'm hoping that the message that you're getting from this is that um, burnout is very real, and it's something that can have significant impact on your psychological and physical well-being, and. Often we have clues to that we're experiencing that. And recently I was listening to a podcast, I think it was Tim Ferriss was um, interviewing uh, Peter Diamondis and he's involved in lots of that um, space travel. Anyway, that sounds a bit out there. But basically what he was talking about is that lots of planes have sensors built into them and it's rather focused on preventative. So a plane will have a detection as to whether um, some hydraulics aren't at the right pressure or some oil needs to go into a particular part of the plane or or it's not as responsive as it should be. So there's all these sensors throughout a plane that, you know, double and triple check what's going on so that if there's some mild issue and that area needs servicing, they will ground that plane and get the servicing done, obviously to prevent a disaster. And what he talked about, Peter Diamandis, was that um, he believes in the future that humans will have um, much more data, like sensors under their skin, to detect what's going on in their body. Um, From a preventative perspective, that's really exciting, um, particularly in terms of your general health and physical well-being. But what I found really interesting about that is... Often we have our own intuition about our health anyway. We kind of know when we're getting close to that point where we're a bit frazzled, a bit short-tempered, not feeling as energetic, funny it you know, first thing in the morning rather than waking up feeling rested, you're waking up thinking, oh no, here we go through another day. So I kind of want you to think about that as having your own senses there, detecting that things aren't aren't all good. and that perhaps you need to be doing more work around your your mental health care. Um, as I said, particularly people in caring roles where there's so much not only physical energy used to to support the person you're caring for, but also that emotional energy um, in terms of investing in that person's care and attention. Um, it's really important that you seek emotional support or you you become your own emotional hero and start getting the care that you need, whether that's talking to a friend or family member or a health professional, or whether that's taking time out, getting massages, going to a day spa, 
um, going for a walk in the forest, um, whatever you have access to and, and really scheduling it in and making sure that you make a commitment to that because I think we're really good at being in denial. You know, I'll get through tomorrow. I'll just push through this fatigue. Um, I know that I'm getting short-tempered with the kids, but I'll make it up to them tonight or tomorrow by reading them an extra story. You know, I think there's all all these ways we deny just how um, close to that physical and emotional exhaustion that we are. Um, so I think it's really important to seek support and not blame yourself for, for feeling overwhelmed. I mean, you may have heard as heard overwhelm being a relationship between time and task. So feeling that there's not enough time or too much demand within that, that, that time. So again, it's about us opening our mouth and saying, this is too hard at the moment. Um, I need an extension or I need to say no um, or bring in support and resources to help you get through whatever those demands might be. And I think, you know, that's it's far more brave to ask for that help than it is to trudge through and put your own health and psychological health um, at risk. And, and I think that's really, you know, echoes what my research found around that professional isolation and, you know, how, you know, it, it, you know the size and, and the significance of the results that I, I found, um, you know, really brought home that geographical isolation um, doesn't correlate with those high levels of burnout and particularly maladaptive coping, um, that it was much more that professional isolation um, that was a factor when um, professionals and carers and health coaches and other people in health roles um, were, were feeling isolated professionally. So that might mean also joining a peer group or a peer supervision group um, or, or, you know, what I love is the wellness couch and, and the tribe that the wellness guys have brought together um, in having that goal of helping people to feel empowered and build their, build their knowledge and education around their own personal health goals and that of their family or people around them. So, yeah, so the, the research was very interesting in terms, I think over 50, 50% of participants felt professionally isolated and felt that um, that, that was quite harmful in terms of their, their levels of burnout and their, and their coping. Um, and an interesting point too that my research found was on the area of acceptance. And this is, um, I guess, a coping strategy um, uh, that seemed to mediate when someone was actually high on neuroticism. So you may remember mentioning earlier that people that were high on the negative aspects of neuroticism were more likely to experience burnout. However, when people were more accepting um, or, or able to live with a particular problem or demand, these um, tended to improve a personality factor of being high on neuroticism. So I think that's quite interesting in terms of a lot of the conversations we hear out and about around gratitude, because I think acceptance and gratitude are quite similar. Um, but yeah, so that I don't know whether that's interesting to you, but I certainly find that fascinating that acceptance mediated people who were high on neuroticism. So even though there was this stable personality trait of being neurotic, if they were more accepting of their situation, they were less likely to become burned out. And, and so that's really important in understanding just how important our selected coping style is on personality and then the development of burnout. 
So I think that's really illuminating in terms of what we target when we're working with people professionally, um, you know, particularly in my work with health coaches and other psychologists, either through supervision or professional development, that I use this information from my research and of course others' research on how to target ways in which we can enhance coping skills um, that help prevent burnout. So I think that um, it, it's it's probably something um, that if you are in a work role where you do have a supervisor, that I strongly encourage that you have a chat to them. Um, and I think that if you feel that you're feeling a bit vulnerable physically or emotionally, please seek out some support um, or do your research um, to find out what might be happening for you and maybe having a bit of a look at what coping skills you tend to utilize the most. And are they healthy coping skills? Are they making you feel more well or better or improving your general sense of well-being? Because if there's a negative result, then we really don't think that's probably the best way to go. So I I hope you've got something out of today. And I know that was sort of heavy on the research and using a bit of jargon there. Um, but hopefully you can get an understanding on that burnout is very real. We are vulnerable to it. We need to be aware of what's happening in our body and our mind and act early with some healthy coping, healthy coping strategies to improve our, our um, or reduce our risk of burnout and do seek support if you need to. Um, and if you're interested in more on what I have to say on health professionals, and how we go about creating change in others and looking after ourselves. I do have a series of workshops coming up in October in Sydney, Brisbane and Melbourne. Just jump on the website, um, carriethompsoncasey.com and you can see details there on those programs that I'll be running through October. I have so loved having you with me today and thank you for hanging out with me and hearing about some of my areas of passion um, and research and please spread the word and tell your friends to listen to and subscribe Subscribe to Tap in iTunes and don't forget to give the show a five-star rating if you liked it. Um, and thank you for joining me once again and see you on the next episode of The Abnormal Psychologist where we share real people's stories and give you real ideas so that you can realize your potential. Take care. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.